0: folks we're here with Craig Muter director of communications at the Baseball Hall of Fame up there in cooperstown uh, on august 8th i reached out to craig your colleague adam uh, suggesting we maybe do a little tabletop gaming tournament up there and uh, after some back and forth and some great consideration we're going to be going there on april 1st i know it's kind of weird at a football club a bunch of our uh, close friends are going to be up there and so i thought it'd be cool if we could just kind of get an update about what's coming for the hall this year what kind of big year you've got planned in terms of events and exhibits and what folks are going to see
1: what a great date for you, too. Two days after opening day. That, that, that is wonderful. The, the photo you have behind you of, of Doubleday Field, that is a wonderful shot. Must have been from a drone or from an airplane. Um, and in fact, that, that speaks to some of the events we're having in, in 2023. Double day Field has been remodeled. Um, so there's a brand new third base seating area uh, that doesn't look anything like it, like it does in that photo. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful couple of events. The first is the Hall of Fame Classic, which is on Saturday. I want to get my date right. May 27th, right? I believe that's the date. May 27th is a Saturday, and that's our that's our annual Legends game, where we have Hall of Famers and uh, recently retired Major Leaguers who participate in a game at Double A Field. It's a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of nostalgia. Uh, and, and the Classic is just a wonderful event. The tickets for that go on sale on March 13th. Uh, and then, like I said, the, the, it's Memorial Day weekend in Cooperstown. Really a fun event. And then in September at Doubleday Field, we'll be hosting the Savannah Bananas. If you're familiar with them and their brand of entertainment, we can't wait for that. That's going to be wonderful. September 16th at Double Day Field, the Bananas are heading, handling all those ticket requests. And those will start going on sale probably in June sometime, June or July, through the Savannah Bananas. So those are two big ones. And, then of course, the big one we have every year in July, Hall of Fame Induction Weekend. That's July 21 through 24th this year with the induction ceremony on Sunday, July 23rd. Fred McGriff, we already know, is part of the class of 2023. And as of today, we're still waiting to see what will happen on January 24th. Will we get uh, some BBWAA electees, uh Scott Rowland or Todd Helton or Billy Wagner? It'd be interesting to see. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting class this year. So we're looking
0: forward to that as well. Awesome. That's amazing, amazing slate of events. For those who've never been, I've never been to Cooper's time. And I, I feel bad. Right, we've
1: about- got to, we've got to take care of that. Please, please <laughs> let us know so we can roll out the red carpet for you.
0: Well, we're coming up. We're coming up.
1: If you come up before that, though, or if you come up separately from the group, do let us know.
0: For for those who are not familiar with Cooperstown, getting there and finding a combination, what are kind of some of the insider tips for uh, seeing the primary exhibits at the hall and getting around town? So Cooperstown is a, literally a
1: one stoplight village of about 1,800 people year-round. Year uh, and it's located at the base of Otsego Lake. Uh, which is kind of in between the Adirondacks and the Catskills, if you're familiar with New York State. Uh, so it is, it, it, you don't get to Cooperstown by accident. Let's say that. You, you, you plan that trip, but it is so well worth it. Um, just an absolutely beautiful setting um, and, and really is small town Americana at its best. Uh, and right there on Main Street, the National Baseball Hall of Fame Museum, you drive down and there it is. I, I, I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years that they're just amazed. They're just driving all of a sudden, here's the Hall of Fame, the Mecca of baseball. Uh, so what we tell folks is, especially, you know, during, during the summer months, um, housing or, or accommodations can be a little tight around here because people like to come to Cooperstown. So we always tell them, you know, if you, you can look in Cooperstown and if you find something there, great. If you don't, try Oneonta, New York, try Utica, New York. They're a little bit further away. Uh, but you can find housing or accommodations, especially during Hall of Fame weekend, uh, when things get pretty crowded. Last year for, uh, for the 2022 election, we had about 35,000 people in town. So that's like, you know, basically 25 times the size of the of the village expanding over that weekend. And people stay all, all over the place. Our record crowd, of course, came in, uh, in 2007 with Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Wynn. Eighty-two thousand people in the village. It was an incredible sight to see. It was. It was just. It was baseball heaven.
0: Wow! Wow! That's amazing. Uh, you know, speaking of baseball heaven, how great is your job, and how long have you been with the hall?
1: It is a great job. I've been here almost fifteen years now. I worked uh, the first seventeen years of my career. I worked in newspapers, and uh, the second, the second paper I was at was in Utica, right up the road. And I'd never been here, never lived in Central New York. But one of the reasons I came here was I had a chance to cover the Hall of Fame through that paper, and so I got to know the the PR guys here. Never really thought I had any any del- del- illusion about me working here, but one day the guy used to be my boss called me up and said, "Hey, would you like to talk about this job?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, would I like a guided tour of heaven? Sign me up. I'm ready." Um, and uh, it's been it's been 15 wonderful years for for a kid who grew up. Memorizing baseball statistics. Uh this is this is the perfect job. Um I, I'm I'm very, very fortunate to walk through the plaque gallery every day and know where I am in Cooperstown, New York. So uh I'll I'll be here until they won't have me anymore, that's for sure.
0: Awesome. Fellow instinct stained wretch here, Gannett, many years and uh <laughs> Me too. Yeah.
1: Where'd you work for Gannett?
0: Oh, I was at the Journal News in White Plains. I was at Florida Today. The Red Paper, is the Sentinel called it, yeah. I was at the Jer- Jersey Journal, not Gannett, but a couple years here. So, yeah. Very nice. Yes, Unica was a Gannett paper for many, many
1: years. And it uh, was, was a training ground for lots of people who went on to higher positions in Gannett. Uh, and and I, I loved it. Newspapers were great. I spent 17 years there. and And it was wonderful training for this job. Uh, in terms of writing, and then, you know, the baseball background uh, just, it just came along with it, so it's been perfect.
0: Awesome, awesome. You know, what for you is the golden age of baseball? We've talked to some folks, some game designers, and some younger folks say we didn't really have a golden age of baseball, but, you know, what is your personal golden age of uh, baseball? Now, with the Field of Dreams game, is this really kind of a, a big resurgence for the sport?
1: For me, it was it was the 1980s because that's when I was you know, when I was growing up. You had uh, you had ten different World Series champions in the 80s. There was parity throughout the game, um, and and that was just a wonderful, wonderful era of of high caliber play. Um, and and I, I have very fond memories there. And of course, then I grew up a Pirates fan. So then the Pirates in 1991, 92 had those three great teams that won the division uh, right at the back end of that era. And, and that was really special to watch Jim Leland and Barry Bonds and Andy Van Slyke and Bobby Bonilla. Those teams. That was that was where my heart was. Now you know when I started following the game, it was the '79 Pirates. So I, I can remember that. I can. I was 10 years old. I can remember watching Game Seven of the World Series, and I fell asleep. And it was one nothing Orioles when I fell asleep. And I woke up and I said, "Dad, who won?" And he said, "Pirates won, Craig." And and I said, that's great, I'm going to bed, i got to go to school tomorrow. And if I now known now, what I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have celebrated a whole lot more, that World Series championship, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, the game, it's such a special game. There's nothing like baseball in terms of the way the history connects, not just through the years, not, not just to say, oh, a 300 hitter is a 300 hitter, which, which pretty much it is, but also American history the way it reflects what was going on and what is going on in the country at any given time. No other sport has that. And I'm a big sports fan. I love other sports, but there's something about baseball. And and I've always said, if I could only have one sport the rest of my life, if you said you could only be a fan of one, I would pick baseball and, uh, and just be very sad during the winter.
0: For sure, uh, Mr. Stargell here for you, you Pirates fans. Uh- <laughs> he
1: was he was the guy. That was the guy I grew up. I grew up, you know. He, he was he was the guy, the heart of that Pirates team. He and Dave Parker and Kent Akovi, uh all those guys. Uh, that that they made me fall in love with baseball. And uh, after the after the '79 World Series, after the Pirates won, my parents bought me a World Series encyclopedia for Christmas that year. Uh, a a book by uh, Nefton Cohen, which were uh, two very famous baseball authors. And in fact, we have a copy in the library. I've actually found it. It's been wonderful. But I read through it very quickly and found that I had memorized all of the World Series results just by accident. Um, And that was the first thing that I could do that other kids my age could not do, which was recite the World Series winners Um, and, and, you know, baseball Baseball became this, this passion for me, this thing, uh, and, uh, and it will never leave me. It's a beautiful thing.
0: Speaking of the encyclopedia, what is your take on sabermetrics and kind of the data-driven trend toward refining uh, baseball production and output?
1: I think information is a great thing, and I think the teams have used that information that they have to their advantage in, in a lot of ways. I do think that there is something to be said for the old school methods. That people that, you know, the people who were, were running the game, participating in the game for 100 years, they weren't dumb. They knew what they were doing, you know. And, and, and that doesn't mean it can't be improved on, but it also means that there's some value to to you know, the eye test and to, to things that that are kind of being swept away in the analytical uh, you know, revolution. I will say this I love the statistic of, of war wins above replacement, but I've always wondered how it was that all of a sudden war this statistic showed up and everybody said this is the ultimate evaluator of a player a player's value. It's like wait a minute, who came down from the mount and decided that was the case? Uh, I, and and you know you can you can look at war and it's a great great tool, but war will also tell you that rick russell was a better pitcher over his career than sandy koufax and if you believe that i've got some land to sell you here in cooperstown give me a call
0: <laughs> nice numbers don't always tell the whole story right it's kind that's, of that,
1: that that's exactly right
0: interesting interesting you know uh what in terms of the exhibits at the hall what are some um items that might be on your radar? What if I mean, obviously we can probably say some more of the most prized uh, exhibits and uh, items that you have on display or in your collection there. Uh, but what are some, maybe some exhibits or donations that you'd be looking to acquire?
1: Well, certainly, you know, our, our, our accessions team, we have a team that, that has to vote on everything that's offered to us. So, so we take in about 400 new artifacts a year and that's about a quarter of what is offered to us. So about 75% of the things that are offered to us, we say, we really appreciate it, but we've already got 20 Babe Ruth autographed baseballs and we don't need another one to tell that story. What the curators are looking for is artifacts that tell a unique story. And so those are, those are something that they usually come to, some of us come from the teams. We take in about hundred artifacts from MLB in any given year, but the other three quarters come from private, private collections people who want to see these things preserved. And when you think about, you know, the Holy Grail or whatever, our curators will always say the one thing they'd love to get is the plaque from Eddie Grant that was in center field in the polo grounds for many, many years. Grant was a World War I hero and they put up a plaque that was in play in center field. No one knows where that plaque is. So it could have been melted down for the metal, but it also could be in somebody's basement somewhere. I think if we ever found that, that would certainly be one of the, the things that curators would just love. Nice,
0: nice, nice. You know, as you see, Folks come to the museum. You mentioned some of the uh, really <laughs> the shocking uh, uh, attendance figures there, and how the town you know really has to absorb that. But I'm curious um, if you have just not even a, a you know a hard number, but generally the kind of the the number of kids. I mean, certainly parents get their their children into the game. I just wonder if you noticed that in your 15 years there, if the uh, uh, traffic of younger folks has been kind of consistent, maybe even on the uprise.
1: It has been very consistent because of the baseball camps that are in our area. Uh, now, those camps are not owned or operated by the Hall of Fame. But, of course, the reason they're here is because people want to come to Cooperstown. So you're talking about Cooperstown Dreams Park. You're talking about All-Star Village, which is located just on the road to Donianta. We see all throughout the summer youth baseball teams in the museum all the time with kids, you know, learning about the history of the game and, and, and getting into it. I think baseball is healthier than ever. Yes, it is certainly a different sport in terms of, you know, you have to have a team. It's not like it was in 1950 when kids were playing Sandlot ball a lot more. But you look at the number of youth teams in this country, it is absolutely massive. Uh, And and this game is is as healthy as it has ever been in terms of, of fan recognition, in terms of fan following. Uh, I, baseball is, is going to be around a lot longer than we are, Jeff. I guarantee you that.
0: And certainly Mr. Judge's run this year had uh, drew some eyeballs as well, right?
1: Absolutely. And that, that's, a, that's again, a, a great example of how when, when all-time records in baseball like that are approached, it, it just absolutely creates a buzz throughout the nation. That does not happen with other sports. It just is not there. But there's something about baseball and the history of it People feel very protective of this game. And I, I think it's because it's been around for so long and it's been such a big part of American history. People people feel like it's ours and, and they wanna see it
0: preserved. You know, and speaking about that, I mean, the legacy, you know, over here, we've got the New Jersey Jackals and they're gonna be moving over to a Hinchcliffe Stadium, which has got to quite the history of Mr. Larry Dobie, who had his first tryout for the Newark Eagles there. What is that kind of network for those who don't know? What is the network of these minor league, double AA, A, triple A? I mean, how does this all kind of work together and feed it, uh, the major league? Well, you know, the way the ma- the minor
1: leagues are are operated now is there's so many more uh, franchise owned teams. In other words, you take like the Syracuse Mets; uh, they are owned by the Mets now, and and this is because uh, there's there's such an investment in these young players that the teams want to make sure that they are getting the absolute best conditions, nutrition, weights, all those things. And the way to do that is to to own the teams. Now, is that going to take away something? Yeah, I think so, because minor league baseball has been around for a long, long time. And for decades was maybe the major entertainment in this country, really from 1900 to the advent of television. 1950, and even into the 50s, the major entertainments in this country were motion pictures and minor league baseball. Minor league baseball was all over this country. In the tiniest, tiniest towns, people were playing this game. Has that been, has that lost? Yeah, in some ways, that's been some of the loss, of, you know, because of the the expansion of the country and, and just the expansion of television and other forms of entertainment. But you can still see it out there. My league baseball is still thriving. And and that's something that we we document also at the Hall of Fame. Not just the majors, not just the big leagues, but the minor leagues, amateur ball. We are the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum. We work very closely with MLB, but we are not owned or operated by Major League Baseball. We are an independent, not-for-profit history museum, just like any museum in your town. And so we are documenting the entire history of baseball. And that's what you'll see when you come through the museum
0: do you collaborate with someone like the smithsonian or the library of congress kind of share or uh, rotate any exhibits or any information like that or
1: absolutely we have we have artifact sharing that goes on all the time through different museums in this country we loan out uh, many of our 40,000 artifacts get loaned out on a consistent basis and and part of that is to tell the story and any given day about 15%, about 5,000 of our artifacts are on display in the museum. The rest are either on loan or in climate-controlled areas because the museum isn't big enough for 40,000 artifacts. And so to tell the story and to help fulfill our mission, we are loaning those artifacts out on a regular basis.
0: Nice, nice. Now, I was just talking to some people ge- uh... I was just talking to a gentleman who played in the Italian Football League because the Italian Football League is holding its 42nd championship in Toledo, Ohio, which got me to thinking about all the, you know, the international aspect of American sports and baseball. I mean, of course, uh, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Japan. How do you document that as well?
1: Absolutely. That's that's something that we do. We, We have an exhibit dedicated to Latin American baseball experience, Viva Baseball. Um, and, yes, that is something that we, we really focus on because the game is growing worldwide so much. You'll see it this year in March with the World Baseball Classic. You'll see the kind of passion that goes into it. And just looking back at history, too, looking at some of the world tours that took place, uh, the 1888-89 sporting tour where the, where the teams went around and they played baseball at the base of the pyramids and climbed up on the Sphinx, uh, you know, th- those are just th- those are timeless moments that happened. And, and that's been baseball's been going on like that for so long, spreading, spreading the gospel of baseball around the world. And, uh, it it is more popular than ever now as a worldwide sport.
0: And talking about grand gestures and big moments is how incredible was the field of dreams game and how important has that been to the sport?
1: I, I think, I think you, you see that when you have events like that, that are these unique, Things and, and by the way, Field of Dreams, top five movie of all time on my list, no no doubt about it. I, I will watch it anytime it's on. Um, and I've been to the site. But you see that that when it's an event like that, people get behind it. And it really doesn't matter who's playing the game. What matters is it's this, this feeling of baseball in Americana. And you're going to see MLB doing more and more games like that because they see the success of it. It's going to happen more and more where they're gonna to go to these sites that, that, that have that history and play a real game.
0: I'm glad you brought up your top five movies. I wanted to get into some of your other personal favorites, starting with what is your favorite item or artifact at the museum? So, so
1: that answer, it's a, it's a unique answer. It's a, it's a Philadelphia A's cap that was worn by Jimmy Fox uh, back in about 1931. And that's on display in our second floor. And the reason it's my favorite is, is this. It's a really personal thing. Uh, when I was growing up, as I said, I, I was reading baseball books, and they were all black and white, maybe a few color pictures, maybe, but most of them were just books out of our, my middle school library that hadn't been checked out in 10 years, you know, were, were, were covered with dust. Um, but I loved those stories, and I, I just devoured them. And as I'm reading about Fox, who who is one of the most underrated players of all time, even as a hall of famer, his numbers are off the charts. As I'm reading about Fox, I'm picturing him in green and gold because that's what the A's wear today. And so I'm just picturing him in that that green and gold uniform. And then I get here and you see this this brilliant blue cap, almost sky blue that the A's were wearing back then. And And you're reminded, Jimmy Fox was a real guy who did real things who wore this real uniform. It wasn't just words and numbers on a page. Every time I see that cap, it reminds me of that. These were real people. And that's the beauty of the Hall of Fame. It it has that connection. Uh, Just something as simple as an old ball cap.
0: That's awesome. Speaking of the real people, who in your mind, uh, throughout the vast history of, of Major League Baseball is the most unlikely baseball star and hero?
1: Oh man, most unlikely baseball star and hero. How about uh, that's, a, that's a great one. How about Freddie Patek? Five foot four inches tall, all all-star, all-star shortstop for the Royals in in the 1970s. Um, there's a guy who just willed himself into being a, a player. And I think that's a that's a great example of the beauty of the game of baseball. You don't have to be six foot eight. You don't have to be 300 pounds. You don't have to run a four, three forty. What you have to do is understand how to play the game. And yes, if you're a great athlete, baseball certainly has room for you. But you don't have to be that stellar athlete in order to succeed at the game. That's what makes it such a, such a, a unique sport, open to anybody. And I think we're going to see in our lifetime, Jeff, a female major leaguer because it can happen. And I think what it'll probably be is it'll probably be a left-handed pitcher who can get lefties out, you know, lefty, lefty on matchup. I can see this happening. And this is so unique to baseball in that it is, is equal opportunity and you don't have to be this mega athlete in order to succeed at
0: it. You know, and we talk about in the football world, of course, who could really play today. I mean, Unitas and Butkus, I mean, obviously there's the physicality is a, a bit of a different realm there, but for you, Pick your starting nine out of uh, pre-1980s players, let's say, who could get on the field today and uh, win a series.
1: No doubt. Henry Aaron, uh, Willie Mays. I think Ruth, even though I know Ruth is 100 years old, but if you put him on the field, I guarantee you he's going to still hit. Um, Bob Gibson. If I had one game to win and I had to win it, I, I, I think I would pick Gibson just because I don't think he would allow himself to lose the game. Um, you know, he, he, his, his competitive fire is going to be there. How about a guy like Stan Musial? Tremendously underrated player. The guy's numbers are 331 and, and off the charts RBIs. He was a guy who could just hit anything, any pitcher that was. How about Roy Campanella as a catcher? I don't think there's too many guys who were in that league in terms of, you know, being able to throw defense and offense. Those guys all would have starred in this area. There's no doubt about it. Yes. I mean, are, are people bigger and faster now? Absolutely. Uh, you, you can go back and see stories at all star games, nationally players and, and w- would come in and see Mickey Mantle and be amazed at how small Mantle was. They couldn't believe that he, you know, five, five foot ten, five foot nine, thickly muscled, but just a kind of an average-sized guy. Now he, I still think he'd be a star today because he might have been the fastest guy ever to play the game. But yeah, it's a little bit different, you guys. Nutrition and human evolution have changed the have changed the, the bearing a little bit. But I still think a star back then is probably a star now. There's no doubt about it, uh, and and that's the beauty of the game, is, as I said before. A 300 hitter is still a 300 hitter that hasn't changed. And that's because the game is so well designed that, that it, it, unlike most other games, there's just not a lot of rules in baseball that prevent you from cheating the game. It's not like offsides in hockey, illegal man downfield in football. There's a whole bunch of those rules in other sports. Baseball, yeah, there's the infield fly rule, but there's not really much beyond that. It's very, very tough to cheat the game because it's so well-designed.
0: Speaking of design and hitting, what's the easiest park to hit a run in, the hardest park to hit a run, or a single, double, triple? What's the... Ever or, or right now? Ever and right now. Kind of compare.
1: I I would say one of the absolute most difficult parks to hit in ever was probably Forbes Field of, of the modern parks. What a huge huge yard that was. I mean, They used to store the batting cage in center field in Forbes field during the game. It was in play because no one could reach 465 or whatever was, was out there. You look at some of the smaller parks now, uh, you know, you look at, at Cincinnati and, and, and the Yankee, Yankee Stadium, it's pretty easy to pop homers out of there. But that's the neat thing about baseball is, unlike most other sports where the playing field is very uniform throughout every game, Baseball is not. You have different dimensions in each park. That that adds some quality to it, some some character. I like that, um, and I, I don't want to see that go away.
0: For sure, for sure. Uh, gotta throw a curveball and apologies for the pun, kind of intended. But uh, uh, for those folks who don't know, you being a sports writer, and I having been an editor, front page editor over here at during uh, during the peak of the, uh, the recent Yankees, uh, say the '90s and 2000s. Every night is election night, folks. Uh, I love that, that quote. I love that. Every <laughs> night, In sports,
1: every night was election night. That's exactly right.
0: What was your favorite night on the desk or out in the field, favorite game, favorite series, favorite moment that you got to witness and cover?
1: I remember I, I got to do the World Series in both 95 and 97 because uh, I was working at a paper in Ohio covering the Indians. So I was at Game 7 in 97, and I I will always remember that. We were were, It was a smaller paper, so we were out in the auxiliary box in right field at Pro Player Stadium in Miami. And most of the other writers out there with me had grown up as Indians fans. I had not. I had grown up as a Pirates fan. So I'm watching this game, and the Indians are leading, and Jose Mesa comes on in the ninth. And I'm like, this is it. The Indians are going to win. I I can see it happening. Mason's going to close this down. And, uh, oh, by the way, a guy from our area named Brian Anderson, who is now broadcasting for the Rays, was then a pitcher for the Indians, appeared in game seven, got a critical out. And so that was my lead. It was, you know, Brian Anderson of Geneva, Ohio, was going to help the Indians break the streak. And I had it all written down. And the other Indians fans, the other reporters, they all had this deer in the headlights look like, Mesa's going to blow it, I'm like, no, he's not. He's going to finish this. This is it. And I, I watched as Mesa allowed the run for the Martins to tie it. And then, then they won in the 11th or in the 12th. And uh, yeah, just, it was amazing to watch that and to be a part of that. Uh, I, I will never forget the looks on their faces. And then I had to of course rewrite my lead. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> we are nimble fingered folk, aren't we? That's was, right. Was it the vindicator or the blade perchance? It was not. It was the Ashtabula Star Beacon, Ooh.
1: which we were right on uh, on the extreme northeast uh, northeast corner of Ohio, right by Pennsylvania border. And uh, Geneva was about uh, five, seven miles to the west of Ashtabula, and then you go down into Cleveland. Uh, so, But in fact, I grew up outside of Youngstown, Ohio, with the Vindicator. Uh, their sports editor at the time was named Chuck Perisic, uh, and uh, that's, that's how I learned. I grew up reading the Vindicator. Also grew up reading the sporting news. Every Thursday, the sporting news came in my mailbox, and that was a huge thing. Peter Gammon's writing his baseball notes. I used to devour them. It was so great to have that every Thursday. And of course, all my my, my, my friends were like, no, we like sports illustrated. They're like, no, no, sporting news, much better. And I'll stand by that even to this day.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, You talked about your top movie, top five movies. What about the top book or books on baseball? And I mean, that's beyond talking about the Library of Congress level of collection.
1: My favorite baseball book is A Fall Spring by Pat
0: Jordan. Don't know if
1: you've ever read that book. It is an absolutely wonderful tale of his career in minor league baseball. So Jordan became a very, very successful freelance writer for Sports Illustrated and many other magazines throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Extremely prolific. In 1958, he graduates high school and is a a bonus baby pitcher in Connecticut. Signs a $45,000 contract with the Braves out of high school, which then was a lot of money, uh, and gets sent to the minors. He has very, very limited success in three years the Braves eventually release him in uh in 1962 and it's the story of how he went through that absolutely wonderful piece um if you have not read it i i i highly recommend a fall spring uh it is a a wonderful baseball book
0: awesome if there's one person you could choose to represent the entirety of baseball—the athleticism, the spirit, the legacy—one person to someone who doesn't know the sport at all, who is it?
1: Boy, that you—you you don't even give me the Mount, Mount Rushmore. I, I could have given you Mount Rushmore with, with more ease, but I—but for one person, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall back on on what may be the greatest player of all time and say Hall of Famer Willie Mays. If there was one person who embodied the game and all the skills that it had, Willie Mays could do it all. And, 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 and the thing is, at the time, even during his career, he was acknowledged that people who, who saw it then knew it. And I, I think, you know, he's, he, he's, he's our oldest Hall of Famer right now, coming up on 92 years old here in a couple of months. Willie Mays was, was baseball. And, and, and boy, that's a, well, you want to talk about a tough question, narrowing it down from, you know, from even from the Mount Rushmore, but I'll go with Mays uh, with the caveat that uh, you could pick five other guys and you'd never be
0: wrong. That's excellent. 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 Ah, oh, Thank you for that. Um, now, uh, just one last question. You know, we talked about visiting the museum and I wondered, uh, I had asked if you were in the learning centers. I believe that's where our tournament's going to be on April 1st. And I believe there's a, a 1952 or 1956 APPA game in the collection. I just wondered if uh, folks have to make appointments, if they can uh, go and create kind of private tours, kind of archival tours, similar to what something like the Library of Congress or the National Archives might do. Right.
1: So there, we have a, something called a VIP experience Uh, that will allow you you can custom make this this tour toward to what you want to see now that doesn't mean you can see everything because certain things it's difficult but you can custom make the tour for yourself visit our website baseballhall.org under the tab special experiences you'll find several things like that that you can participate in Um, it, it really is the hall of fame is a special place and for baseball fans it's just a magic thing to walk into the museum, to walk into the plaque gallery, to feel that, that presence. And if you haven't been here for induction weekend, come up. If your favorite player is being inducted, that's great. But even if it's not, you're walking along Main Street, and Main Street gets closed down during induction weekend, so it becomes a public thoroughfare, and you just feel it. It's like a baseball carnival, um, and, and, and everybody has a smile on their face. If you're a baseball fan, there's you, you've got to make the trip and see us in Cooperstown. Cooperstown does not disappoint.
0: Excellent, sir. Thank you so much for that insight. And we're looking forward to a great year for baseball and for the Hall and for you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff.